0: Welcome to Women Living Courageously, a virtual women's ministry working in tandem with the ministries of Love We're Finding. We are ordinary women pursuing an extraordinary God, and we're here to encourage you to laugh without fear of the future. And I'm your host, Melanie Redd, and I'm so glad you're here today. And I have a special guest that I can't wait to introduce you to. Her name is Natalie Henson, and we have the privilege of working together. She's married to Seth for the past three years. And they are expecting their very first baby, baby Owen, very soon. And we had lunch a couple months ago and shared our stories. And I so loved Natalie's story that I wanted you to get to hear what her life was like and and to get to know a little bit about what Natalie's been through. And so welcome, Natalie. We are so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to have a fun conversation and also kind of a heartfelt conversation because we're talking about hope for the parents of prodigals and we're going to talk about a little bit about your before your during and your after and my prayer is that many many parents and grandparents are going to be so encouraged i believe they will today so let's get started let's talk a little bit about before so tell us a little bit what was your family like growing up like did you go to church have devotions share the good stuff i mean what was your home like growing up give us a little picture of that
1: Um, I had a really, really great childhood. A lot of times I think you assume terrible things have happened and that's why you went off track later in life. But it was just my mom and my dad who both loved the Lord so much. And my brother, Austin, he is just a year older. And we just grew up in a really little town in Arkansas. My dad was a pastor for all of my life. And he is an incredible man. He has just this quiet strength even though he is a really big guy. He feels deeply. He cries about things and he just he never gets tired of the gospel and hearing the gospel it just it it gets to him still like he's hearing it for the first time. And so his relationship with the Lord is just beautiful to me. And then my mom stayed at home with us. We were homeschooled for the majority of our younger years. And she is just the energetic one in the family. When I think of her, I think laughter. And she did the whole home-cooked meal thing every night. We were at the table together. And so it, it was a really great family situation. And then my brother, you know, he and I were best friends. We did everything together. And we are nothing alike at all. And somehow that worked. And we, he was very athletic and I'm over here just running into walls and breaking things, but it was just a typical childhood. We went to church and we were on Sundays and Wednesdays and family nights were on Friday night
0: and we had friends over and it was, it was just an idyllic childhood. So you're saying you grew up in a really typical, traditional Southern Christian home with two parents that love each other and are still married. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. It, w- it was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. The reason I share that is because I think a lot of people think if, if they do everything right, everything's going to be perfect. And uh, you grew up in a great setting. What was high school and college like for you? What were some of the hobbies? What were the th- things you were into when you were in those days?
1: Yeah. I, like I said, very clumsy. So I wasn't great at sports, but I loved track and cross country. We won a few state championships and that's really what I found a passion for in high school. I loved to read. I was very reserved and kept to myself. So my mom encouraged me to start at a young age to start taking piano lessons. And that ended up being a huge piece of my life later. So music has played a very big role And then I eventually went to college and um, graduated there with a degree in finance. So pretty, pretty typical through high school and honestly through college too. You would think that I had it all together and was just had everything ready to go.
0: Yeah, so you're just the picture of the all-American girl <laughs> who, who had good point, life. yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me share this with you, because let's talk about the during, because some things changed. And um, I'll read this verse. This is Jeremiah six sixteen. It says, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, No, that's not the road we want. (laughs) And so when you and I were talking at lunch, I know we had this discussion, but I know at a certain point you started choosing a different road than the ones that your parents were on. What happened that started your detour? Was there an event, a hurt, a disappointment, just curiosity? What began the change in your life? I think the reason the enemy is so effective is because he
1: is so subtle. And so there wasn't one huge event that triggered my downfall. I would say it was a lot of really small things. And I became a Christian at the age of six. And to me, it was simple. It was, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And I, I called on him for that and was baptized. And I really had a hunger for the Lord all through my life, as a child, as a teenager, it was just, it it fueled me in everything I did. And one thing that's pivotal in my teenage years, though, was we didn't relocate. We moved to a larger town in Arkansas, and that was in the middle of 10th grade. And so that's a difficult year for a lot of teenagers, I feel like. And I struggled, I think like most teenagers with feeling Like I don't belong. I'm different. No one's like me. And the thing though, that probably started my detour was just not spending that time with the Lord. I was very structured with having time with him every day. Like I said, even as a child, and I think without realizing it, it just every few days I would miss. And then I was only doing it once a week. And so just getting in front of him, getting in scripture, just one-on-one with him, that was the first thing to go. And the next thing was probably compromising in really small ways. I didn't just go out and just start doing a bunch of illegal things. I mean, it was really small ways of just wanting to fit in. I I didn't want to stand out. I really just wanted to fit completely in and Nothing, nothing special, but I think that's what was so subtle about my story is it wasn't obvious for many years that I was getting off track, and it wasn't until later in my sin that um, my consequences started really growing exponentially. But early on, for several years, I would say my parents didn't expect it, and. And quite honestly, I didn't see it happening either. And I think that's kind of where pride got me a little bit too. You you don't think certain things will happen to you or that you'll make
0: certain decisions. You hear stories your whole life and you just don't think that'll happen to you. You know, I heard a speaker, his name was Dan DeHaan. And he's in heaven now, but he used to speak at youth camps and he called it drift. He said, it's like being at the ocean on a raft and you just slowly drift down the beach and you don't even realize how far you've gone. Absolutely, I would say I was probably years of drifting before you. I really started to
1: see for myself what have I got myself into.
0: Well, let me ask you this: What were your family and friends doing during all this? Were they trying to talk to you? Were they did they when they begin to realize you had really drifted? You were way away from where you started. <laughs> Not at the initial, because I think a lot of us, a lot of teenagers, do that. They kind of get busy. A lot of college students drift, but when you they realize you were away. What did they begin to do? How did they talk to you? How did they respond? What was that like for your, especially for your parents, I guess, and and your closest friends? I think for
1: my closest friends, unfortunately, they were doing a lot of the things I was doing. My Christian friends were. And I think a lot of that I played off as, you know, we're young, we're in our 20s, we're, this is just what people do at our age. And it, it didn't stand out so much. But as I started getting more extreme in my addiction and everything that went with that, those Christian friendships slowly started suffering a little bit. They were kind of grow up and were moving on with their lives, and I was still very much um, back here wanting to um, party and do the things that really they were ready to move on from. And so, interestingly, my Christian friends slowly disappeared, and. I replaced those friends with friends who did want to do the things that I wanted to do. And so I really didn't have accountability because everyone that I was close with had kind of fallen by the wayside. And I just surrounded myself with people that was doing the exact same thing I did. So I didn't have much from the friend department. Um, I burned a lot of bridges there. And then my parents, when they first started seeing that I was really going downhill, I would say anger was their first response. I think they were shocked and hurt and things just kept coming out to show them, wow, she's she's much worse than we thought she was. And I think anger really fueled them for a long time. And I know now they were asking questions like, what did we do wrong? What should we have done differently? How did we not see this? How could we have done better? What could have prevented her going down this path? And and it came out as anger towards me. So it was pretty volatile there when, when they were realizing how bad it had gotten. And then I was clashing with them and their anger and disappointment. So it, it
0: certainly got worse
1: um, before, it,
0: before it got better. All right. Well, let's talk about what happened after Because let's talk about the good part. I don't love to focus on the sin anytime. And we know you went to the pit. (laughs) You went to the bottom. (laughs) And And I thought about Luke 15, where Jesus talked about the prodigal son. And there's a line in Luke 15, verse 17, where it says he came to his senses He was in the pig pen (laughs) and he came to his senses. So let me ask you, what happened made you wake up and come to your senses? Because this is the question I would think most parents and grandparents want to know. What do I pray? What can change? How can I get that child's attention? So how did God get your attention? What happened to wake you up?
1: Absolutely.
0: I do want to backtrack
1: just a little bit and, and say that my story personally, my addiction was alcohol. And I feel like addiction can be different for every single person. And you, again, you don't see it coming. No one plans to wake up and, you know, I'm, I'm going to become addicted to something today. It's, it's so subtle. And I took my first drink at 17. I actually prided myself at being such a girl and not taking a drink till 17. There's that pride that sneaks in there. But from 17 to 25, it's kind of the time period that we're talking about. So it was about eight years of me just really becoming dependent on alcohol. And so unfortunately for me to get to that point where I came to my senses, I thought I had done everything that I could do with my own strength. I had tried to stop. I had tried AA meetings. I had confided in people that were Christians and loved the Lord, who I thought might be able to help me. Um, I, Admitted how bad the situation was to my family. Unfortunately, it wasn't until I thought that death was the only outcome possible um, that, that I did come to my senses. So it was the very best thing that could have happened because it was a place of total surrender. It was a place of I have I am absolutely helpless to get out of this situation. And I saw no, no way out. And so really, I would say my rock bottom was a day where I had come over to my parents' house to, I technically lived there, I guess, but you <laughs> know, I had gone over there for something. I was coming and going all the time. And I, I always tried to avoid my parents because when I saw them, it was just tears. And my mom looked at me and was trying to hold, hold back her tears. And just like any other day, she was begging me to get help. And she said, what do you have left here? Why won't you go get help? You, you have nothing left. You have nothing, no one. And what do you have to lose? And so she had begged me to get help many times before. And, and I don't know what was different about this time other than the Lord. And I was just at Completely helpless and just had given up on living. Truly, but I think I needed to get a little, little more hopeless before I could um, before I would surrender. But on that day, I had nothing left, and I said, "Okay." And quite honestly, you know, I had seen the stories and the TV shows of people going to treatment, and they never ma- they never made it, and it just it didn't work. So for me, it was a way to just say, "Okay." I'll go get treatment. I'll go get help. Um, But ultimately, I only did it because I thought this is not going to work. But now when I die in this addiction, they will know that I at least tried to get out. And so it was just my last ditch effort um, before I got out. So that day will forever remain just like the clouds parted. And I just had a moment of clarity. Again, not for the right reasons. (laughs) I was... I was absolutely hopeless, but it ended up being the very best thing that happened to me. And so that was the day that suddenly, who knew? They jumped on it. They had all the things <laughs> in place to get yeah, me help, yeah. like <laughs> lined up and ready to go. And that's just what started.
0: That's when my life changed forever. You know, I have, I have a good friend that's a, she's a counselor, an addiction counselor, and she was an addict. And she tells me you have to want it. You have to be willing. And it sounds like you got to the place where you were willing.
1: Absolutely. And I think when it doesn't work and people who go to treatment or try to get help, there is just, there is some part of them that's not willing to give up something and there just has to be a 100%. There's nothing left for me to hold on to. I will,
0: I will release everything
1: and you have to want it. That's very true.
0: I think that's the way that parents and grandparents can pray: is that your kids, if they're away or they're addicted, that they'll get to where it, it's, it doesn't mean anything to them, where it's empty and it doesn't satisfy, and they don't, it doesn't make them happy anymore, and they they get to where they're willing because they're desperate for it to be better. And so I, you know, I, I think it's like God got you there, and it sounds like you got to the bottom, you got, and you were in the pig pen, and you came to your senses, and you said. I want some help, you know, and I'm and I'm so grateful for that. And and this is the really sweet part of the story because things changed, right? I mean, you're you're a completely <laughs> different person now. So tell us how has God restored your life from that day forward? What is he? What did he do that was sweet after that?
1: And I'll, and I'll add to that for parents who are listening. Um, it sounds like there was just this miraculous moment where the clouds parted, but the only thing they really could do up to this point was they, they got people to pray and I was showered in prayer. One of the things they prayed was that my sin would find me out. That's in scripture somewhere, but they prayed that and they prayed that I would be miserable and uncomfortable. And they had a team of people. And I know that's humbling. I've since found out for, for parents to say, Hey, my child is just completely out there. I need you to pray. I mean that that has got to bring a level of humility, um, because it they felt like it was their fault, and so but it was it was the prayer. So until your person that you're praying for is ready, and that readiness we talked about, prayer may be the one and only thing you have, but it's really the only thing you need. It, it changed everything by having this. Team of people praying for me for years and years before I ever came to the point of wanting to get help. So, okay, so you said, what did he do? Um oh man, I ended up going to treatment in 20, well, 2016 actually. And um, again, one of the most embarrassing things. No one wants to, I was worried for a long time about what people would think. And again, you have to be willing to let go of that too. And so I I watched the Lord just hand me an entirely new life. Um, he I was in a year long program and that's a really large commitment. Again, I didn't think I'd make it three days. So I didn't really care how long the commitment was for, because I didn't think I would make it. But um, every single day he just showed up and he held my hand and that, I went on staff at a church to teach piano there and eventually went on staff in a full-time position to help with their membership. And I found community there that I never thought possible. And I, I actually led with my addiction in a lot of instances and people were receptive to that. They wanted me to do well and they wanted me to heal and so it was it was like a hospital for me being there. And so I found friends there. I've never had friends like that until I led with this weakness that I had and was just completely transparent from the very beginning. My family is completely restored. We are closer than ever and that includes the relationship with my brother who he had completely written me off and said he wanted nothing to do with me and completely restored. And I then met and married my incredible husband, Seth. And so it's been three years and we're expecting a baby in just a few weeks. And I just feel like it happened overnight. It didn't. It was very painful. You know? It's not as painful as you would think. Once that surrender came, it, it really was not as painful as you would think it would be. But it it's a 180 from any life that I had before.
0: and And he just blessed me more than I ever, ever thought. That's such a great testimony, and you know, God is so good to do that, and His restoration is always so much better, maybe even than we were before. It's amazing how He can turn things around and how He can change things and make them better. So I love that in your story, and I love to see if somebody met you now, they'd never know you went through all that. (laughs) Um, I had no idea, but when we began to talk, it gave me hope because I love hearing about how you were raised with so much, but you just— as you drifted away, it can happen to anyone. And then how God brought you back and restored you full, full, full fold and brought back everything plus some. <laughs> let's let's talk about just to kind of make this practical for people that are listening. I got two questions in, in relationship to the after. First is to that parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle or whoever's listening that's brokenhearted over someone today. And it might be a spouse. It may not be a child. What encouragement would you have for them? You mentioned praying, and I absolutely believe praying, getting people to pray. Tell somebody, tell some trusted somebodies that will pray. Is there anything else that you could suggest that you feel like would be helpful for people if they're in the middle of, they're the ones praying, they're, they're the ones hoping that person is going to come back?
1: Absolutely. I and I know my parents would say the same. I think that family Of The individual who is going through the addiction or, or the, the whatever struggle that it is they're having, I think they need to get their own support. And so I I was several years in before my parents went out and actually found a support group and people who were going through the similar things, because it's not just the person going through it. That person is wreaking havoc on everyone around them. And so I would just say to the people that are experiencing the pain of those choices that you find support groups in your area. A lot of churches, the very church you go to might have a support group for this very thing. You cannot make yourself, you cannot make your child or your spouse or anybody in that situation better by by making yourself sick. And you have to live in a way that you're prepared for your child to never make it out or your husband to never make it out or your, your loved one. They may never make it out, but your life still has purpose and God still has a plan for you. And so do what you can for you to get help and for you to be healthy because you are so impacted and so wounded by all these things as well. Um, show
0: yourself some love and, and find that support. That's a a great word because I I would bet a lot of people shut down. I've heard stories. I heard a lady share one time that she was off living a horrible life and was in prison. And her mother used to sit on the second row of church. And she got so despondent and so upset that she moved to the back. And finally, one night in church, (laughs) she asked people to pray and it changed everything for her. So that's a good word because I think there's some people that have just quit living and you need to keep living and put that, that person in God's hands. You can't stop just because they're not doing well. So that's a, thank you. That's a great word. One other thing, because there may be someone listening today that was where you were. And so what encouragement do you have for that person who's taken the detour away from Christ and is listening today and saying, is there hope? Can I start again? Will God give me a fresh beginning? It sounds cliche, and we've heard it in church, but you have never
1: gone too far for Jesus to bring you back. And he is not mad at you. He loves you. And I would just say try him on that. Test me and see if see if he will not. Take, take you up and just wash you clean and give you a whole new life. You are simply responsible for collapsed feet with absolutely nothing to offer but total and complete surrender. And the encouraging part is. He's, he's not going to be torturing you the whole way through. He wants you to come back. And so the moment you come back, just completely surrendered, you will feel relief immediately. And even though you can't work out all the details of, oh, when this comes out and when somebody finds this out and, and once, once this comes out, this is going to be so bad, I can't handle that. That is not something you have to worry about right now. You'll be amazed at what doesn't come out. He 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 protects you from so many things.
0: And try him. He's, he's not mad at you. He wants you to come back. Amen. That's a good word. He loves us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. I love that. Well, a couple of final questions we like to ask. Our motto here at Women Living Courageously is we are ordinary women, but we are pursuing an extraordinary God. And so tell us how you're ordinary. How are you one of the girls? Um, I, the first thing that comes to mind, and this is, oh, I can't
1: help it. Um, I love cheese, all kinds (laughs) of cheese, cream cheese, cheddar cheese. I mean, if I'm cooking, I'm like, I think we need to add some cheese to that. I think it needs some. And so, man, I will just put a plate of nachos together so fast just for the cheese. And so it's kind of a joke with my family and
0: friends, but I love it. That's good. I, I think, love it. I, mean, I think that great. makes
1: me very ordinary
0: because I think a lot of us love <laughs> A lot it. of people do. A lot of women. <laughs> cheese and chocolate. Yes, absolutely. Yes. 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 Tell me this. How has God been extraordinary to you? I think the peace that He gives is extraordinary.
1: And to be able to wake up every day with a clear conscience and just a clear Conscience. I mean, that is extraordinary. And I feel like people can search their whole lives to have peace like that. And so it's possible for all of us. And so I think just him gifting us with peace is just one of the most extraordinary things that he has ever
0: done to me. And And I I love that. Amen. It's It's the peace that passes understanding. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know this is a big deal. And you share it. It's very vulnerable and you're very honest. But I really believe what you've shared is going to encourage others today. I believe people are going to listen and they're going to say, there's hope for me. There's hope for my daughter. There's hope for my granddaughter. It's not over yet. And so I encourage those that are listening, you keep praying for your kids. God is at work. And Natalie, thank you. This has been so sweet. We appreciate you being with us today. For
1: having me on here, I I hope this brings encouragement and hope to at least one person out there. So thank you for asking me to share.
0: I think it will bring hope to many, not just one. (laughs) So thank you. This has been sweet. And I so appreciate your sweet spirit and your beautiful smile and what God's doing in your life. And we're going to pray for that baby that's coming for just a sweet delivery, good (laughs) delivery, and and for God just to continue to use you. He does. It seems like he uses the hard things we go through to become our ministry. It's almost like he uses our most painful things to bring hope to other people. So thank you for just being willing to share the hurt that you've been through and how God brought you through. That's, that's so encouraging. Well, as we finish today, before we go, I want to tell you about a couple wonderful resources that we have from Love or Finding. And I looked these up because I wanted to give you a couple things that you could go to after this conversation today. There's a booklet. It's called How to Keep Your Spiritual Fires Burning. And if you feel like you've drifted or your heart's grown cold, this is a wonderful little book from the Ministry of Love or Finding that you may want to pick up. And I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. There's also another booklet called How to Raise Godly Children. And it's very encouraging. And I'll link it as well. And so before we go, let me ask you, have you followed the podcast? Have you shared a review? These would be so helpful. And listen, I found out this week, I didn't know this, you can also leave a rating. If you see the five stars on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can just hit the stars. You don't even have to write a sentence. More stars is good. But uh, if you will share some stars with us, you don't even have to write us a review. That'd be wonderful. And to continue to reach more people and grow in the podcast world, we need your follows your reviews, and your stars. And so that's my ask for today. So I want to thank you in advance for helping us in this way. And listen, if this blessed you today, would you share it with someone? You can just hit the share button and send it to someone. Text it to them. Send the link. Screenshot it. Share it on Instagram. Share it on Facebook. If you have a friend or co-worker or family member who you think would benefit from hearing Natalie's story today, Then let them know about this And listen, this was kind of fun just to encourage you I got two Instagram direct messages just this last week And they said, I started listening to your podcast because somebody shared it with me And so the sharing works So I want to encourage you, share And as we go today, remember We are ordinary women pursuing an extraordinary God He is full of mercy and grace And He always welcomes us and our children back home